0: I went in the bookstore and somebody said, "How are you?" And I was looking for a book, and I said, uh, "I'm fine." This is paper tape that won't
1: tear your skin.
0: All right, it's paper as tape. Much as you want. here's more tape. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bonnie. Okay, taped. Does that work? Yeah. Okay. Is that good for everybody else? You here? Good. 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 Does it look weird? I'm so vain. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) So, A, how many people here think it's nice to laugh for a minute? (laughs) And frankly, truly, it's the first time I laugh today because uh, really I'm not fine. I think uh, I read somebody else's... I read various of my emails and among them a reminder that Abraham Joshua Heschel said at a similar time, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was an esteemed rabbi uh, 50 years ago, who came from Europe and was a leader at the uh, Jewish Theological Seminary and was walking with Martin Luther King over the bridge at Selma, said, uh, here it is, in 1963, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel sent a telegram to President Kennedy about the crisis of civil rights in this country presuming he proposing that he President Kennedy declare a state of moral emergency this hour calls for high moral grandeur and spiritual audacity so what I thought this morning uh, is uh I feel that, and I'm fine. I am fine because I'm I'm feeling that I'm alive in a body, so there's something I can do and share and add. I don't think I can solve by my, myself anything, but I can be one more voice for sanity and goodness, and so can all of us. And we can use this morning to encourage ourselves. We can, to do the opposite of hand-wringing, to do the hand-raising and saying, I'm in, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And when I drove over here this morning with um, with Joe, who drives me every week. Where are you, Joe? Oh, there you are. <laughs> Put the glasses back on, maybe. <laughs> I said, so Joe, you remember that we, it was, it was uh, just before we met on a Monday morning that the office building in... Uh, then uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City, was bombed, and it was on a Tuesday. So it was the Wednesday, the day after, that was 9/11. And um, earlier than that, m- most of us here uh, were somewhere hearing the news of the assassination of President Kennedy and Martin Luther King. And Robert Kennedy. We also, all of us, heard disasters like the tsunami. But the tsunami was not a humanly constructed disaster. And the other things were people things people did. And it, for people, it's inconceivable to me, and I'm sure to you, just because you're here That the idea of purposely doing something terrible to other people is just so amazing. How can a person think about doing a purposely terrible thing to another person? I don't think any of you would find yourself here in a Dharma class on a Wednesday if you didn't already think that that's not what a regular human being is supposed to do. So every once in a while we have these enormous things that happen and we think, wow, human beings did this. Not regular, but enough of them. And what should we do now? On all of those occasions, I also taught just after the uh, the first Gulf War had started, the... Um, invasion and each time I said you know I can't just be the one to talk about this we all have to talk about it we have to sit together and talk about it and talk about two things we have to talk about how do we feel and what is each of us thinking of doing because then then we're not feeling so lonely so isolated and so frightened Looking around at how many people are here, maybe about 60 right now. I think there are at least 60 people in the world who share my feeling, because you all look like, yes, yes. How many people, for how many people is this your first day here that we haven't met before? We haven't done this before either. Can you stand up, all of you, just for a minute so everybody sees you? Because we do this every week, but just standing up and letting people see you is a new thing. It's nice for me because I get a really a chance. It's nice for everybody else. So I hope you're not one of those people who doesn't like to stand up, 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 up. <laughs> now stay up, not sitting down. You have to stay up long enough to say one sentence. My name is so and so, and I, I live such and such. I live here and there. And, and if you want to say something else, you can. So go ahead. Okay, hello, Priscilla, thank you. Now you can sit down. See, it's very easy. It's it's one long sentence with three clauses. Go ahead.
2: My name is Patricia. I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota. And I had the uh, privilege of hearing you at the University of Minnesota uh, several years ago. Oh, wow, I remember that.
0: I remember that. I remember that. I'm thrilled to be back. I'm glad to see you.
3: Michael Idle I'm from Sacramento it's my first time here my buddy brought me here and I'm very uh, I've been on a spiritual path my whole life so I'm always looking for new stuff and different experiences and I've heard lots of great things about
1: you
2: and this location
0: well thank you very much and this particular location you know I come in here I already feel better you know there's there's something about it's like going in a cathedral you always feel better in a cathedral thank you
4: I'm David Zinn. I'm from Sacramento, and uh, first time here. And uh,
0: I heard your interview with Krista Tibbet many years ago. Oh, wow. And uh,
4: after that, we began doing a loving kindness prayer. You kind of taught us to do that, and we did it with
0: our, our son. And he would repeat that, and it's been very, very helpful for us. Oh, thank you so much. Do you know, David, uh, that was. Uh, I, I'm going to tell everybody else that maybe I'm showing off a little bit but it was a really a momentous moment because I was interviewed by Krista Tibbett and it was filmed as her interviews always are and then they're shown it, it was broadcast on on, uh, on Being when she was still on NPR and uh, they liked it it was on Mother's Day because I talked about being a mother and how you feel about you and loving kindness and they play that interview every year on Mother's Day on on NPR, and uh, Krista in the middle of it. We you don't rehearse with her. You meet her cold, and th- it comes out of the discussion. She said, "Would you lead a loving kindness meditation?" So I did, and she said, "You know, this is going to be the first time on on the air uh, that there's a period of time where it's quiet for radio announcers. That's called dead air. You're not supposed to have dead air." because then people change the station for something else so we had like seven minutes of dead air on NPR and, <laughs> and I haven't listened to it since then I know it's there on the On Being website it still is so thank you so much uh, it really makes me happy to know about that thank you So you're Pamela, did you? Peggy, Peggy. and Priscilla and Patricia. Patricia. I thought there were three P's over, there. and Pam was right behind you. So, and your daughter looks just like you. She does. You should no turn around. Look at, huh? She's been here before, but it's. A, I you definitely look a lot like each other. Yeah.
5: uh from Atlanta, and I'm here with two lifelong friends from Atlanta who live out here in California and was introduced to your books uh, by my friend Catherine. And um, you know, it's been a very important part of my year.
0: Well, I'm very glad that you're here.
5: Uh, my name is Trig, and I'm one of her lifelong friends from Atlanta, but I've lived here for 18 years down the road in Larkspur and been meaning to come here. It's not far, so I finally made it.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you're here.
1: Uh, I'm Brittany. I'm from Roner Park. And I actually used to live in Woodacre and drive past this all the time, but never stopped by, and I moved next week, so I wanted to make sure I came.
3: <laughs> 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 My name's Michael. Um, I'm a health coach at CrossFit Novato, where... Brittany is also a coach till next week, and I just came with her for her first time. It's my first time with you, but my third time here. Uh huh. Happy to be here.
0: Oh, thank you for coming. Yeah. Okay. Usually not. <laughs> Brahmani is showing me that uh, she's saying, "Don't forget that at this point, every week." You're supposed to say to the group, everybody say hello to the person next to you. And we will, but I don't want to do it in the normal way of just talk to one person, because we're all going to talk to each other. But I t- take, take really a minute, or one minute, just to shake hands with the people around you. Just touch everybody. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to see. You. Oh, I was seeing. look at your orange earrings. You're so cute.
2: Look at this. Isn't this the
0: most amazing? Yeah, I got mine in the Navajo reservation. I got mine in Aspen. Yeah. Somebody said you are protected from everything.
1: I like to
0: I didn't make it loud enough. It should be more. <laughs> I think today people need to talk to each other a little bit and touch hands. Somebody told me that it doesn't count if you hug somebody if the hug is less than eight seconds. Did you know that? That it's too perfunctory. So if we if we well we 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 can't start hugging it's complicated but if we shook hands even for 8 seconds it would take a long time to shake everybody but um I am very glad we're here So my idea for today which is different from normal is usually I'd say let's let's uh, we'll sit for a while and I'll give some sitting instructions I will, and we usually sit for about a half hour and then usually I have some prepared thing to say about some topic that's up that in relating it to Dharma in some way, but I want to do it a little differently today. I do want to relate it to Dharma. I want to talk about. Um, What should we do about um moral outrage? That uh uh what are we gonna do about anger? That uh there's a lot of ambiguous things when you hear uh uh traditional presentations of dharma, like uh anger is one of the poisons in the mind and anger should not arise. Uh, I thought to myself, well, okay, I'm not angry, I have moral outrage. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's nonsense, you know, that's nonsense, I'm actually angry. And uh, how to be morally angry without being morally destru- immorally destructive to myself or anybody else. And the question, a long time ago I remember... Uh, saying to this group, even when we were back in the other building, um, what are you doing now to keep yourself going? You know, we get up in the morning, and we make breakfast just like normal. And the world is not normal, and it's looking catastrophically not normal, or terribly not normal. And I don't know the... I, I know what I am doing, but only you know what you are doing. And I thought there would be a way for us to talk about those two questions about... How are you feeling? How are you dealing with those feelings? And what are you doing in the world? Because, um... Just the awareness, being aware, waking up, having compassion in the mind and heart, I don't think is enough now. Something has to happen that's... we don't have time in this world. I mean, it's, it's a very good thing to have compassion in one's own heart. But what can we also do to um, stop terrible things from happening in the world or to make a positive difference? Not to say that Buddhism hasn't thought about it. The, Buddhism, the Buddhist Peace Fellowship has been doing that for decades. But I thought instead of sitting for a long time and working on developing a sitting technique, we'd sit for a little bit and then we'd talk for a little bit and then we'd sit for a little bit and then we'd talk for a little bit and sit for a little bit. And I think to do it that way as a prescription, it's one of the answers. How can I know what's in the news and not be undone by it? My husband told me this morning that two... I, I was out yesterday, from mid afternoon until late in the evening. He told me two of his favorite newscasters burst out crying on on the news. Did anybody notice that? What did you see? Rachel Maddow started to cry. Who else? Stephanie. Ruhle. Stephanie Rule started to cry. What did she say?
1: Stephanie Rule, I guess, was down in that area. And she was I don't remember her words, but I remember her her and
5: she was you know, tremendously outraged and disbelief about <coughs> inhumanity of what was going on. I just heard on the news that Trump is gonna sign an executive order to stop this.
1: So huh? At two
0: o'clock this afternoon.
1: Of course he could just make a phone
0: call. Could make a phone call now? He Send the one he What? Yeah. You won't do anything without a camera in the room. True.
1: It'll be temporary.
0: It'll be temporary. Not separating families. You know, so I am aware of, of feeling in myself That comes up, you know, there's been a huge amount of damage, huge amount of damage already done that you can't undo. But uh, there's also a feeling, okay, somebody's voice is getting heard. So that's one of the things that's happening. There's enough voices getting heard. So that the idea that comes floating through my mind, not infrequently, which uh, increases my uh, distress and dismay is there's nothing we can do about it it actually refutes that idea there is something we can do about it uh, and it does make a difference so let's sit how about what do you say 15 minutes 15 minutes not so long as usual I'm so happy to Uh every once in a while you see somebody that you didn't see in a long time are you both well? Great. I was teaching some people the other day about teaching new people, people new to meditation, different type techniques. And I said, it's very good to teach the technique of um, uh, Staying with your breath. It's not what I have as a daily practice. um, But it's what I know and have practiced a lot that calms down the mind a lot for short bursts of practice. So let's try it a little bit. We could use a little calming today. And that that practice is feel yourself sitting... Feel your bottom on your chair. If you're in a chair, feel your back against the chair. If you're on a zafu, feel your legs where they are. Feel your feet where they are. With your eyes closed, you can feel your whole body where it is. And then, as you sit... Notice that what's rhythmic and continual is the feeling of the shifts in the body to accommodate in-breath and out-breath. Sometimes we think to ourselves, I am breathing in or I am breathing out. And actually, it's not so hard to notice that we are doing nothing. We are just sitting in the atmosphere and our diaphragm The atmosphere is pushing breath in to the space that the diaphragm, having retracted down, has made for it. And then the diaphragm moving up and pushing the air out. Push the air out with more carbon dioxide that the trees will then breathe in and send us back some oxygen. So we are just the uh, parts of the engineering of the world that keeps it alive so far these breathing bodies and green living vegetation keep breathing each other alive breath after breath as long as this body is viable it'll continue to make space for breath and as long as there's enough greenery it'll transform form the CO2 that comes out of breathing bodies back into oxygen to be breathed again. So no one's doing it and breathing is happening. And if you can let your attention rest on that breathing, let's say fifteen minutes. If you direct your attention to that, you can feel your whole body breathing, or you can feel it breathing just around your ribcage, or just at your nostrils, wherever. Maybe sometimes you lose a sense of the breath for a while, and the mind is just peaceful. That's fine. Just leave it that way. Sometimes you lose a sense of the breath and the mind is stirred up by thoughts or worries or ideas, just for these 15 minutes, see if you can rest with the breathing sensations. Not because the thoughts aren't helpful, but in order for the thoughts to be more helpful when we share them. feel better sitting for a little bit I think it's it's just a great relief did you try to do bringing your attention to the breath was it hard no yes some no's and some yes I think one of the things that we learn from that is that if it's not and you can come to the breath ah, and just be with it a little bit it's not like the world got any better when we were there but we rested a little bit from being caught in its grip, so afterwards you feel a little better. It used to be years ago, when we had cassette tapes, um, recorders, there were cleaner tapes that you could put in after you'd played enough cassettes that would like uh, just take out the dust, and then you could hear better. On the front of the book that I carry around with me uh, is uh, pasted when the mind a, a quote from Krish- Krishnamurti, who was a sage in the middle of the last century, when the mind is still and tranquil, not seeking any answer or solution either, even neither resisting nor avoiding it is only then that they can be a regeneration because then the mind is capable of perceiving what 's true. And it is truth that liberates, not our efforts to be free. And this could we could just talk about that statement as a class every week because we talk about what does it mean liberates, liberates from what, and free from what. I thought maybe I would suggest this morning that it liberates us from fixed views and it frees us to be at ease because... Some of the fixed views I have is who are the bad guys and who are the good guys and who you should be afraid of. And I think that, that those are not, you know that I hear myself about to say those are not views, those are truths, but <laughs> not for everybody. Not for everybody. But uh, those are some of the questions that I think about. I'd, I'd like to know what are the questions that you're thinking about. I'm thinking about, is it true? that there really is evil in the world. Is it true that everybody is fundamentally good and that everybody's heart fundamentally responds with compassion? I was, just as we were sitting and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the photo that probably you've all seen of the border patrol person uh, frisking a woman. You don't see either of their faces or heads, and the small child of that woman looking up and looking anguished. And I saw that picture, and I thought, maybe this photo will be like the Vietnam photo that stopped the war. Do you remember that photo? One photo of a little girl on fire as they're running and stopped the war. Maybe that'll be the picture that will stop this craziness. I don't know. But then for a moment, as I was sitting, I was thinking of her on that border patrol. She's probably a, pers- a woman, so she's probably not a man. Probably a woman. And I thought, probably, if not today, sometimes she's going to feel bad about it. She really, she's on this terrible, infamous picture. She's not the only one who's doing this, but out for the whole world is what is generally, I think, going to be, has been declaimed as being an awful thing, and she was a part of it. So that's some of the questions that I'm thinking about. How can I be part of? Uh, How can I talk about reading the uh, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life and uh, if anger arises, think this, think that, think this, think that? I'm thinking if anger arises, you get out and do something about it. It doesn't say that. anger arises, you make your mind able to hold it. It doesn't say don't do anything about it. So maybe it means to say anger arises... Wait till you have a clear view of what will be helpful and then do that. Maybe maybe I'd like to imagine that that's how we're doing it. Very recently, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who you might think if you don't know who he is, he's a Buddhist monk and he's my age, and he was not born Bhikkhu Bodhi. He was born in Brooklyn, New York, and his <laughs> name sounded ethnically quite a lot like mine. And uh, he went to the same high school, or a different high school in Brooklyn, but anyway, he went to high school in Brooklyn, and he became a monk 40 or 50 years ago, and he still is a monk in the Theravada tradition, and he wrote the, the preface to maybe last winter's um, issue of um, Buddha Dharma, probably, but if you wanted to Google it, you'd Google uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi on the need for a socially active, socially active response, because it's a new thing for monks to be calling for. He's not calling for you know a, a, a war. He's calling for stand up and be counted. Talk about it. I mean, compassion in your heart and talk about it. Bring compassion to your. Um, the works that you do. A friend of mine um, works for an organization called Bend the Arc. So you might remember uh, the statement from Martin Luther King that the moral arc of the universe tends towards justice. I don't need to read you this because you all declare, you all know this about what's going on, but the end of it, the, the, um, uh, what do you call it, the administration of Ben the Ark says, so on the basis of all of this that's... It says, our government can persist in this inhumane behavior only if good people remain silent. And so we declare a state of moral emergency and we rise to meet this moment. Even as our democratic institutions are under duress, we raise our voices and take decisive action. United by the wisdom of our tradition, we stand with immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers, with the children... And with their parents, we declare, not here, not now, not in our name. It's hard not to cry. I'll say one more thing, and then I really wanted to have other people's voices. I'll say this because I, I just read it while we were sitting I saw this headline this morning and I did not have a chance to read it. This is a letter, excerpts from an open letter Microsoft Microsoft workers posted on Tuesday protesting the company's work with immigrant authorities. And here's the text. We request, these are workers at Microsoft, we request that Microsoft cancel its contract with ICE and with other clients who directly enable ICE As the people who build the technologies that Microsoft profits from, we refuse to be complicit. We are part of a growing movement comprised of many across the industry who recognize the grave responsibility that those creating powerful technology have to assure that what they build is used for good and not for harm. I'm glad to see that. Here's uh, here's what it says about that. In an open letter posted to Microsoft's internal message board on Tuesday, more than 100 employees protested the software maker's work with Immigration and Customs Enforcement, asked the company to stop working with the agency. We believe that Microsoft must take an ethical stand and put children and families above profits said the letter which was addressed to the chief executive, Satya Nadella. The the letter pointed to a $19.4 million contract that Microsoft has with ICE for processing data and artificial intelligence capabilities. (laughs) Calling the separation of families inhumane, the employees added, as the people who build... Well, I just read that to you. We have to not do that. This letter is part of a wave of tech workers mobilizing this week against the Trump administration's New zero policy. At Silicon Valley companies, including Google, Apple and Facebook, employees have, in recent days, circulated internal memos asking for donations to nonprofit groups that support immigrants. Many have shared information about protests in San Francisco. Oh, I also brought... Here it is. I just heard about this as I left home this morning. Um, There is a Facebook website. Uh, I'm indoors, so I can't... I'm here where they have no connectivity. Connectivity. Anyway, there's a Facebook website which has now gone viral. It's a fundraiser website that went viral that started yesterday that said, um, it's a GoFundMe and it says it costs $1,500 to uh, get a lawyer for a child, to represent a child. And would you please contribute to that? And in a day they have like $15 million dollars donated, and that website has gone viral. I think that gives people an idea of what is out there in terms of what people want to say. I'll read one more thing. This is another article. For years, the Murdoch family has been able to maintain a separation between its Fox News network and its sprawling entertainment empire But that corporate buffer seems to be disintegrating with several prominent creators of hit TV shows expressing disgust in recent days with 24-hour news channel coverage of the Trump administration border security policy. Steve Levitan, the creator of Modern Family, which airs on ABC but is produced by Fox's television studio, wrote on Twitter on Tuesday that he was disgusted, quotes, to work at a company that has anything to do with Fox News. The film editor, Paul Feig, echoed these sentiments, writing that he had made two films for 20th Century Fox Movie Studio, but cannot condone their support or support their news division, which promotes the immoral and abusive policies and actions taken by this current administration toward immigrant students. These tweets came several days after Seth MacFarlane The creator of Family Guy said he was embarrassed to work at 20th Century Fox. After the Fox News host, Tucker Carlson told viewers not to trust other news networks. The criticism has erupted as the future of 21st Century Fox remains in limbo. Both the Walt Disney Company and Comcast are bidding tens of billions of dollars for control of most of the entertainment assets owned by Rupert Murdoch. Fox News would not be part of the sale. But with Fox News, Fox Entertainment Empire on the brink of being severed from the Murdochs, there appeared to be a newfound willingness to take on Fox News. An enormously profitable arm of 21st Century Fox. Murdoch-owned company has varied offerings. Even National Geographic, who knew that? Several, in, in recent days, several news commentators defended the zero-tolerance immigration policy that has resulted in more than 2,300 people, being, children being taken from their parents. On Monday, Laura Ingraham, on her show, described the centers where the children were being held as essentially summer camps. Since more illegal immigrants are rushing the border, she said, more kids are being separated... From their parents and temporarily housed in what are essentially summer camps. And Ms. Ingraham then said that liberals have seized on the separated children, putting the terms in air quotes, and turned the entire image into a political weapon. Later in her show, she said a lot of people are very upset about the summer camp, about her summer camp comments. I will stick to that idea. She called for um, looser rules that will allow Americans to adopt children from Central America. (laughs) Tucker Carlson said tonight that democratic politicians and media personalities had given more attention and funding to migrant children than to American children removed from parents serving prison terms This is one of those moments, he said, that tells you more everything about our ruling class. He said they are far more about foreigners than they are about their own people. Ann Coulter referred to the migrant children as child actors that are crying on other networks 24-7. She had turned to the camera. She asked President Trump not to fall for it. Hmm? this is so terrible I won't read you anymore because it's not it's not my intention to get more whipped up about it (laughs) it actually is my intention to listen to some of you just we need to talk to each other a little bit we can do it in small groups but I'd like to actually hear what people are thinking about oh one more thing there is a march tonight Uh, and I'm going to go it's at um 6.30, gathering at 6.30 at the Civic Center in Marin across from the post office up at the Civic Center. I don't know any more about it. I would look to make sure because I just heard about it. Do you know more? It's um, Marin Innovate and another organization, and it's actually on North San Pedro. It's not on the road the Civic Center zone, so it's right by the post office. It's right by the post office. Is it going to walk on on San Pedro? Where is it going to go? Would you actually, we have a volunteer, okay, volunteer, go and ask in the office, and ask Laura to print out the instructions, and it sounds like it's a thing that the Interfaith Council would be doing, but you have to go out to your car, and we'll look at, no, 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 we'll look it up on the internet, that's okay, modern times, (laughs) but look for, anybody thinking of going, I'm going to go, I'll see if I can get to go with me, I'll look for you, Pam. Maybe we should get out our pink hats. I don't know what I did with mine. What else? Yeah. My concern is they're going to lock the kids
5: up with
0: the parents. They're just going to put everybody together, and that's my concern. That is a concern. Yeah, put up your hands so we can come around with a microphone. There you go. It's a concern. I, I will be happier if they put the kids with the parents. Then it will be a little bit more like uh, hurricane relief, but, uh, but at least not separation from the parents, which is the most important aspect. What happens with your parents in the first couple of years of your life, most psychologists are now believing, is what sets the stage for later. There's been so much um, study of post-traumatic uh, injury following the second world war and the catastrophe in europe i mean now we have catastrophes all over the place but uh, uh, i know that uh, more than once i've in, in musing out loud here i've told about my two old friends both of them, one of died now but one of them was in the mid 90s both of whom were interned in concentration camps in the war brutally terribly and just but lived and were liberated from there and uh, married married, and came to this country and had children and raised families and one of them was a cheerful woman with an optimistic view and whenever there was a general dis- discussion this is in a synagogue that I belong to and the rabbi would bring up some topic and say who wants to weigh in on this topic and one woman, the least, the less sunny personality, would say, whatever the topic was, she'd say, I remember when we were in the camps and I realized that this woman is 50 years out of the camps, but not really, not really out of the camps. And the other woman always seemed to me, when you said, how are you? She'd say, oh, I'm good, you know. My son has a grandson now, whatever it was. She saw those kind of things. And I didn't think of one of them as being a better person than the other I think one, they had more or less the same experience one had been more wounded than the other one and my sense what, what current research is indicating in that, in that calamity and other calamities is what uh, uh, really makes a difference in the kind of post-traumatic wounding is what was the experience people had of comfort and security between the time they were born and three years old did people carry them around? Did they talk to them? Were they well-fed enough? Is their basic substrata of what's going on with them? Is it? Uh, do they have a basic feeling of all rightness in the world? Did people comfort them and feel comforting? Did it feel like this was a comfortable world or not? And it's very upsetting to me. It's very upsetting to me. All of these, there a lot of things very upsetting to me in the world now. But so many of these children are really... Small, And we are not only upsetting their lives now, but we are upsetting their lives ongoing. Some of the research of the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors is that their genes are altered, their telomeres are shorter, which means that their, their general health is more fragile than other people. It's also true of people who were not in camps or necessarily under fire, uh, the last winter in the Second World War, there was a famine in Holland. Uh, they were, just ran out of, out of food. And people literally died of, of hunger. And uh, there, some people did not die, obviously, of hunger. And some of those people were pregnant. And their children and their children's children, and probably now their children, have differently shaped telomeres on their... In their genes, well, and they and they eat fine in Holland now, but the, there's a genetic imprint from that. So that's a trauma that happened to their grandmothers. Yeah.
2: Hi, I'd like to hear from people um, how they're channeling their moral outrage into uh, right action. I, you know, I that's what I'm looking for. The march is wonderful, but that's not something that happens on a you know, on a daily basis or a weekly basis. So
0: I'd like to hear from people some of their solutions. I would, too. So, And we'll, we'll, we'll make a list. The March, the Facebook page where you can send money, um, the letters to the editor. Wait, wait. Michael, yes, Michael. Here comes the microphone.
3: Thank you. Um, so it's really interesting because... I've always been a super emotional person <laughs> ever since I was little. And I was talking to Brittany on the way here and we were talking about how it. one thing, I, I, I was incarcerated at one point in my life and one thing a friend told me was that it has to get worse before it gets better. And that's a piece of advice that I've always seen. And one thing that I think is that You know, without bad things happening, then there is no incentive to change. There is Mm -hmm. no emotion to feel that. Mm -hmm. With the anger, I don't think anger is necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. We attach good and bad to things. I think it's an emotion. Mm -hmm. I think it's an emotion we can use to do good. Um, The last couple months, I've been really um, in touch with Exactly what you just said about, you know, early development years as a kid and just how much it affects you as an adult. You know, we're talking about the kids right now that are facing those very terrible consequences or terrible conditions. But, you know, it's crazy to think, like, for the people, powers that be, to be so inhumane to do these things and allow these things to happen, what kind of upbringing did they have? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the system is pretty broken. Mm -hmm. So, what I think, what I like to do in my job is I get to train kids. And I get to, I get kids that come in that don't like to play other sports. We have some athletes, but some kids don't like sports. They don't like physical activity. They're on their screen all the time. Um, they don't know how to push themselves. There is no pushing themselves. There is no getting to know their self. They're so disconnected from their body. They don't know how to move, how to engage muscles, how to breathe. like. We've gotten to where people don't know how to do these basic things. Mm -hmm. So I'd say what I think is a solution, what I could do, is teaching them and awakening Mm -hmm. them to the fact that they're not helpless, we're not helpless. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of power inside of us, and you just have to learn to tap in. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: So that's what I think.
0: So you train people at the Novato CrossFit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You work for an agency?
3: Um, I work for CrossFit Novato. It's a, it's a. Um, we have like 20 different coaches. We're starting a new company called Novato Health, and we work. We're trying to work with people with chronic disease. I have like three or four people over 300 pounds, some diabetic um, a lady who's just uh, underwent chemo, different people, and just getting teaching them about meditation, spirituality. We have a model we follow called the Seven Pillars of Health. We believe all of those things are important too. Health, not just exercise, not just fitness, nutrition, rest—all of these things. We're teaching people how
0: to—that sounds like such a good thing. I'm, I'm thinking about offering it to, uh, to the school district for um, for adolescents who are are um, in some shaky state. Uh, you know that. Uh,
3: there's a um, there's something I read somewhere once that's like. You know, be the person you needed five years ago or ten years ago or whatever. Like, that's what I think we can do.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. What else? Yeah. Okay. I,
6: I, I sort of feel like I got a message this morning because I went for a hike. I come with my friend John who volunteers so I get here early and I hike up to the ridge and back every time I come, which isn't every week. And I've been up and down that ridge over the years many, many times. I can't begin to count. Uh, Today I came down and one of my neighbors here noticed I had a tick on me and then I found another tick and another tick and another tick. And uh, even while I was meditating, I was still finding ticks. And I went to the bathroom and looked under my clothing, found more ticks. Uh, By the time I was done, I had eight ticks which is about eight times as many ticks as I've ever found on my body at one time in my life. I'm a biologist, have been my, since childhood, really. I've always been interested in living things. And so when parasites take off like that, when there's a super abundance of them, which there must be right now of these ticks, it's because there's you know, some imbalance Just like when there's an illness in a body, there's some weakening of the immune system, some toxicity has entered and has weakened the ability of the system to fight off the infection. In the case of the ticks, it's probably whatever their natural predator is declined, and now they've taken off. But the other side of life, as it usually unfolds, is that this goes in cycles, and next year there probably will not be so many ticks. In fact, it might be very rare to find a tick next year because whatever eats them will have a bumper crop this year and will be very abundant next year. So these things come in cycles. And I look at our civilization as a kind of organism. Back in the 80s, I was an editor at my campus newspaper, and I remember having this kind of debate. I was liberal at the time, and some of the people on the campus were evangelical Christian. And, of course, we disagreed, and there was a lot of acrimony. And... I remember them saying, well, you know, their policy was they were going to infiltrate her. Maybe that wasn't the right the word they used, but they were going to find positions on school boards and small elected offices and gradually work their way into the political system. And I thought, yeah, okay, go ahead, do that, whatever. And they did, because I didn't realize that I should be doing the same thing. And over the years, they've managed to get into state legislatures and create this gerrymandering situation that probably enabled Trump. You know, is Trump evil or not? I don't know. But he's behaving like a parasite. Mm
5: -hmm.
6: And it's a weakness in the immunity of the culture. And uh, rather than getting angry about it, I just think, well, how do we strengthen the natural defenses of this organism that is humanity, that is the Earth itself? Mm -hmm. And one way I think we do that is by not you know, descending into despair, but by looking at this as a natural situation. I mean, we really cannot blame people for exploiting resources. That's the way life works. There's always something or somebody that will exploit an available resource. Our job is to protect it and defend it and nurture it so that, it, that the Organism is strong enough to defend
0: itself against such attack. I, I want to I actually take the sentence that you said just half a minute ago. That said, our job is not to despair, descend into despair, because I think that's a really a crucial pivot point, and that we maybe all could talk to how many people have had a moment of despair recently. What do you do so that you don't get stuck in it? Let's let's let's. Let's hear some other voices about what do you do not to get stuck in despair. I go outdoors and work with the garden. There you go, wait. I go outdoors and work in the garden and look at the see which birds are around at the moment. They're wonderful buzzard family that live in a valley oak on the lawn and that's how I get some balance. That's I'm happy to hear. I think that mostly what what we were... I said to somebody the other day not to make it too simple, but I think all the time the two things we have to do is keep ourselves soothed so we're not blinded by hysteria and alert so that we'll know what's going on and what we should do. And it's some combination of soothed and alert. I didn't make that up. It's a great phrase. But... Um, Tranquil and alert is one of the phrases in the Dharma book. You want to be tranquil, but alert. So you don't want to be so tranquil that you don't know what's going on. And you don't want to be so crazed that you can't figure out what to do next. Tranquil and alert. Go, Jeff.
7: Uh, so, you know, I've been in unions and an activist within those unions for 45 years.
0: Can you hear by the, or no?
7: I, Hold it here. I have been in unions and been an activist within those unions for 45 years, and I can tell you that uh, there's three things I want to say. The first is anger is useless in this battle. Anger is useless because all that produces in the parties that you wish to change is a higher a higher degree of defensiveness and a greater degree of delusion and denial. Shouting at him doesn't work. However, the second thing is hating. We all know, we should know, we should recall, that hatred never fixed your heart. It only makes you feel worse. It It is an acid that corrodes the vessel that contains it. So if you're hating on this, stop it. And the final thing is, over the last six election cycles, I have personally made on the order of 7,000 phone calls. There are mechanisms available through your union, through your, uh, your uh, political party, through your climate, uh, I can't, CCL, climate, Citizens Climate Lobby is another one. And there are certainly, these things pop up constantly. There are available phone lists. Some of these phone lists are focused on turnable counties. Um, um, Organizing for America, which is the leftover from the first Obama campaign. In the first Obama campaign, he won states that had not, he was given absolutely no chance of winning because of the tens of thousands of phone calls made into those states and you don't have to try to convince anybody on these phone calls. Just say, I'm calling to see if you're going to be voting. And then you can say, how are you going to be voting? If, that, if the response you feel is positive, say, thank you. How can I get you to the polls? Can I get you a ride? And so on and so on. If the response is negative, you say, thank you and hang up. Let them get themselves over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, so the point is that these, the instant case is horrendous, but it it exists within a polluted sea. You need to start cleaning up the whole sea to get the instant case cleaned up. And the last thing I'll say is this recent bulletin I just looked it up on Reuters. If you don't think that Trump is making this change, this sudden change, we're, we're not going to do that anymore uh, because of some goodness or turn of heart. Let us hope that it is so. But it is much more likely that the gigantic weight of the opinion that was generated by his his error-prone acts, his ridiculous, let's call it evil acts, why not, um, that has brought to bear power that he could not resist. The way to organize and put this power into place is not by forcing. It's, we're fighting ignorance. And the answer for ignorance is education.
0: Generally, so I like, I like it that you said... At least simply put, education. I think that uh, I'm very happy that you said we're fighting ignorance rather than we're fighting evil. You know, it's much better to think we're we're fighting ignorance. We're also fighting the weight of um, impulsive in living things. What are we going to say, David? And then we'll come back to it. I have a I have a a, a sweet factoid to tell you that just I've been thinking about all every once in a while because it somehow maybe in a in a weird way makes me feel a little bit uplifted. What were we going to say, David?
4: Uh- I just say that sometimes I, I learn to just turn it off.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I can get paralyzed by this 24-hour news cycle where it's the same thing over and over again. And it doesn't lead to action. It leads to despair.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And that mm-hmm. doesn't put me in a good place either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is I try to have some empathy. Um, I mean, 48% of this country did vote for Trump. And mm-hmm. um, not all of them are idiots and, uh, and you know, ignorant. Um, some of that comes from a real place, uh, from real pain. Uh, not things that I agree with, but the more that I can
7: mm-hmm.
4: understand where they're coming from, I think the more that my action can lead to a solution that can mm-hmm. help
0: everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no. It'll help thank you very much for all of that, especially the idea about modulating it also that you know, that really being able to take care of oneself. You want the factoid that, that uh this is by the way a very, very interesting book which I recommend to you. It's called Sapiens. As in you know you normally hear it as Homo sapiens, but He's making a point that sapiens really mean, anyway, it's the advanced level of human beings. Um, well, this level is um, evolved over all the years, and it's very well, I'll tell you about it. I'm not all done, but I will tell you that Bill Gates said, I would recommend this book to anyone interested. In a fun, engaging look at early human history, you'll have a hard time putting it down, which is true. I'm having a hard time putting it down. And everybody has liked it, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. um, Barack Obama says, this is interesting and provocative. It gives you the sense of perspective on how briefly we've been on this earth how short things like agriculture and science have been around, and why it makes sense for us not to take them for granted. Um, And it's just fascinating and very, very well written. It's written by a man named Yuval Noah Harari, H-A-R-A-R-I. He's a young Israeli thinker. He He teaches at the University of Oxford and lectures in the Department of History at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And his book has been transferred into 50 languages and sold 10 million copies worldwide and become an international bestseller in the UK, Spain, France, Germany, China, Korea, Japan, Brazil, and Israel. So anyway, so he broad sweeping uh, review of evolution and he's talking about uh, the evolution of language and the evolution uh, particularly of Homo sapiens and he makes a case that people, we have imagined, where where is this one? He says that people lie. No, he said lying, lying, as soon as there's anything like speech communications. Where is it? Oh, the beginning of speech communications, we can talk about things, you know, not... Uh, we can talk about ideas. We can transfer information to people. So... Um, uh, an imagined reality is not a, a necessarily a lie. I am lying when I say there's a tiger in the river when I know part perfectly well that there's no lion there. There's nothing special about lies... Green monkeys and chimpanzees lie. A green monkey, for example, has been observed calling "careful," a lion, which they, you know, which biologists know that there's certain languages that monkeys talk and baboons talk, birds talk, and you know what they're saying. And you can say things like "here I am" or "this is my tree, get out of it," or uh, that uh, uh, I remember reading Robert Ardrey saying, for a long time, people were thinking. Uh, that they're calling out the passing potential mates. You know, look at me here, uh, how attractive I am. And side they're not calling that out, the, these alpha birds that have... They're saying, I have the biggest tree and you stay out of it to other birds that are... Anyway, he says, the monkeys talk, but they don't talk about just direct communication. They lie. A green monkey, for example, has been observed calling careful a lion when there's no lion around. This alarm conveniently frightened away a fellow monkey who had just found a banana, leaving the liar all alone to steal the banana for himself. So uh, lying is, is around longer than people's modern language. That, and if you think about it, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that monkey, and probably everybody else, is wired for themselves you know, uh, that I'll take care, I need that, I want it, and I'll get it some way or another. You don't think about monkeys necessarily finding a banana and looking around, who can I share this with, this banana? (laughs) Sharing is probably a more elaborate thing. Although, in family units, people share. People share with their children. and with other family members. The, the, the evolutionary scientists are mostly talking about what, 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 uh, what life is trying to do is uh, make copies of itself, whoever it is that there's an urge to make copies of itself and leave it in the world. Whether they're babies that you have, or ideas that you have, or things that you create that are going to make a difference in the world, that you somehow want to have an impact into the world and did something. Yeah? I just wanted to share vultures um, apparently are
5: the only animals that, when they find dead carcasses, which is for them as their food, they tell everybody, all the pictures, like, here, here's
2: some food. <laughs>
0: That's nice. It's a nice thought because we always think that if someone told you the word vulture, would you have a sweet feeling about vulture? (laughs) always think vulture. (laughs) So that's a little correction. Vultures share their dinner. That's nice to know. And they don't, you know, kill to, you know, survive. One, and then also. Oh, then they wait till somebody else does it. Vultures. So now we know. So how many people got changed? So what else?
2: I just, I just wanted to... Um, I really appreciated what David said. And I don't know if I'm the only one who has this cycle. But I go through a phase of moral outrage burnout. And then a feeling of helplessness. And then a desire to kind of bury my head in the sand... Um, so I would really love to find a way to balance kind of not feeling bombarded by horrible news and actually taking some kind of action, small or big, on a daily basis that will make me at least feel like I'm contributing in some small way. I love the marches and the other things, but sometimes I think, are we just all talking to ourselves? Like, is,
0: You know, it's really? Thank yourself. you very much. Tell me your name. Catherine. Catherine, so last night, I, um, well, last week, I saw the Ring Cycle, the Ring of the Nibelungen at the opera. And uh, so if you, if you don't know what that is, it's four operas by uh, Wagner, Richard Wagner. Uh, that are, it's one 17 hour opera, actually, is what it is. And since you can't go to the opera for 17 hours, nobody can sing that long and you can't sit that long, it is broken up into three operas and a prologue. The prologue <laughs> is the shortest one of the of the four. It's very long to sit through because it's two hours and 45 minutes, that prologue, without an intermission. So uh, it's really hard to... First of all, get, ever the lines before the restrooms are incredibly long before it starts. Because once, if you get up and go out, you can't get back in. That's it. So it's like a a little bit like a, a, a maneuver, some sort of military, you have to eat the right things at the right time and not be too thirsty and not drink too much because then you'll have to get up. And, uh, And it's become more and more, I think, popular in the world. They're sometimes staged one at a time in a season of an opera company, and sometimes all four operas. So the San Francisco Symphony is doing all four operas three times. Now the second week, next week the third week. And there's a group of people in the world who travel distances. Anybody here does that? To go and watch the opera in one city or another? in Amsterdam and Berlin and Seattle and Washington, D.C. So my friend Gail and I do that. And uh, we we had an old friend who died last year. She was 99 when she died and still traveling. Uh, maybe we thought that it kept her alive or something, but she was a mentor to us. We don't, we don't go as much as some people go, but we go a lot. So I was there, and when I was there the other night, I thought to myself, all this is going on. One of the things that's true about them is the opera is always sold out wherever it is so that the opera house is is full. Every seat is full. People have booked their seats a year in advance. They've flown from all over the globe to get there. They're more dressed up than usual because it's a big deal. All the standing room is full of people because they run out of seats and the standing room is full. So you're in a space with upwards of 3,200 because that's how many seats they have. So upwards of 3,000 people in that defined space who all want to see that. And I thought to myself, you know, in the middle of it, the music is so amazing and the staging is amazing and it's always different. And for the people who like it, it's fantastic. And in the middle, I looked around and I thought, you know, we all feel like brethren or something. We all do this thing together and I like all these people and they're friendlier on the restroom lines And uh, I never think about how they voted but I was, thought about it the other day here's all these people it's unlikely they all voted like, the way I did because somebody said 40% of people you know, all kinds of people and I thought, none of these people are thinking about their politics sitting in there either they're just doing this one thing I was thinking, one of the lessons I'm learning from this book, Sapiens, is that as populations grew, and it wasn't possible to know all the people in your group, people made up, instead of saying, I know so-and-so people, and we hang together, and say, I'm with the people who hang with this idea. And it would be this religion, or this ideology, or this something or other, so you know that I'm with the people who are just like me. These are my people. Uh, workers of the world unite you know that if you these are the people i 'm with, and you feel good if you 're with certain people, they're your people. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I thought about the fact that I liked all those people, and i didn't know how they voted i didn't have any partisan feelings about them. They all are very respectful, nobody moves during the performance. Everybody unwraps their their cough drop before the curtain goes up, you know, lest they disturb somebody. Nobody moves, nobody leaves. I thought everybody's united because they came to do this. I thought, look what human beings do. We could do that. What I also wanted to say about it is that the whole story of the ring is about how greed is the end of the world and that how lust for power... Is what motivates anybody. And as soon as anybody's got a little lust for power, they get a little power. They want more power. And the last thing they want to do is share the power. And they give up. Very in the first opera, there's a line where so and so, who has a chance to get the gold all for himself and then rule the world, he says. Someone says to him, you know, if you if you get the gold and the power. You, you could get it, but you have to forswear loving. Loving will not be available to you. You have to give up love. He says, okay, I make a vow to give up love because I'll have the power. And I think that's a big mistake, isn't it? You know, <laughs> Rather than saying, forget the power. I want everybody to have power with me and we'll all share the stuff. We'll, like the vultures, we'll share the meal. You know what I want to do? I want to sit for five minutes. Ten. And at the end of that, because we did not mention the people we're praying for. No, I don't want to do it that way. I want to sit one minute, and then I want to say, who are you thinking about? And praying for. And among the individuals that we'll mention, we'll mention the children... And their parents, and the border guards, and the people who are going down to help out, and the people in the town of McAllen, Texas, and everybody who knows about this, and everybody who's frenzied about it. Yeah? Could, could I read
1: one quote? Please. Please. And uh, look for inspiration from teachers at a time when I feel a lot of despair. And I heard this from Rupert, Sp- I don't know if it's Spira or Spira, but uh, there was a little video uh, called Why Does Consciousness Allow Violence Toward Children? And he talked about it. And his last statement was, our first duty, our sacred duty is to realize the non-separate nature of our being with all others and to live that understanding. To me, that was just so, so helpful, just to to drop back and to think, oh, that's what I believe. Mm -hmm. And to, to live that.
0: Anybody else want to read something that you carry around with you that makes you feel good? Okay. Then here comes the microphone. I don't have anything to read, but I wanted to recommend
5: something that really helps me. One of my spiritual teachers is Thich Nhat Hanh, and I think uh, my attraction to him came because of his extreme uh, suffering and oppression during the Vietnam War. Uh, and so he has a book called Love in Action that I often pull out, and has various practices for how to have empathy for the other. And he's a social activist, so it doesn't make him not act. But um, one of the things that he recommends is walking meditation. And when he's, when he's doing walking meditation, he, uh, it's, it's a way of grounding yourself, but it's also a way of, with every step that you take, Send out healing and good energy to whoever you're thinking about, so in this case, the children at the border, the families. Um, and that really is very helpful to me. as I sort of prepare for what I'm going to do in terms of social action, I'm getting calm within myself, and I'm staying connected with. The people that are being
0: affected. Thank you. That's it. Maybe let's say, before we have a period of altogether silence, the names of people that we're thinking about and um, celebrating with thoughts of comfort and ease and also with thoughts of joy. I'm... um, I'm thinking about my friend Rachel who is continuing now a serious decline towards the end of her life and has people taking care of her every minute of every day. I'm also thinking with pleasure of my uh, youngest grandchild who's graduated from high school and beginning the rest of her life and was old enough to vote in our last election and take up her life as a grown-up. Before we think of the communal people in Texas, all the children, who are the people that you know that are in your hearts these days?
5: I'm thinking about my mother-in-law who is 98 years old today and her name is Regina and she was a Holocaust survivor. He's getting tired.
7: John was struggling
5: with mental illness. My son was going to, through a very contentious divorce, may, they find some love to, to get them through this.
2: Children who completed kindergarten and fourth grade and their sense of accomplishment and also the blessing that they have, such a really privileged life and so much freedom and so much love for
5: Jenny, is a homeless woman who lives on the streets of San Francisco, and I hope that she stays safe. ...who's my 18-year-old African American mentee in San Francisco, who... Um, has not quite graduated high school. starting City College in the fall, and how he hasn't had the multiple layers of safety that my kids have had. If I can be of support to them. I'm thinking of my brother who is in
3: ICU.
0: And how would you like to frame the concerns we all have For the children, you do it. I think that they must change that rule that the caretakers cannot touch the children. May they feel hugged. May they be hugged. Yes.
2: May they feel our arms.
0: May they feel our arms. Thank you very much. May we we put them. May we put this in the form of prayer. May they feel cared for. May they feel held. May they feel supported. What else? Who else? There are 125 kids in Sonoma Valley Unified Schools that you're creating for mentors. So if you can't do anything local, you can do something else. I didn't hear the beginning part. and the workers who are having to work for ICE because they have a job and they're supporting families. May everyone in government have the courage to speak out. May the, we that, may the way that we all behave in our daily life, in our interactions with everyone else, may we be uh, models and broadcasters of goodwill. May we have the courage and the strength to transform moral outrage into benevolent activism on the phones and in the rallies and in all the ways that we are together with other people. May we take care of ourselves well. (coughs) May we not lose faith May we keep talking with our friends so that we don't lose faith. May this difficult time be transformative for all of us. May all beings come to the end of suffering. Let's sit quietly with that. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out of the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow As the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloths. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes, sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. It is only kindness that makes sense anymore. I think it's kindness and wise, kind action, not to add to the pain of the world, but to heal the pain of the world compassion in action may we all do it each of us in the ways that we individually do